0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou.
1: And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 14 Sex and Violence. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing intimate partner violence and femicide. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this episode, either for now or entirely. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves. Thank you. Uh, Mary, you've been working on another podcast, haven't you?
0: <laughs> yes, actually, I have. My friend Katie and I have been doing this podcast on Our Flag Means Death which is a queer romantic comedy airing on HBO. And it's actually about pirates. The first season only has 10 episodes of 30 minutes each. So Katie and I decided to release about 10 episodes of about 90 minutes each, right? As one does.
1: Well, I hear we have a trailer.
0: would like to introduce you to the Gentleman Pirates Library, a podcast covering every episode of the HBO show, Our Flag Means Death. I'm Katie. And I'm Mary. And every week for 10 weeks, we'll be taking you on a deep dive into one episode of The Pirate Show with a growing fan base. Over those 10 weeks, you can expect a lot of silly, funny, and heartfelt conversations about characters, narrative, and queer representation, and the historical context of the show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, make sure to leave us a rating and a review. It helps more people find us. You can find us on Twitter at Gentleman Pirate. That's the word gentleman, P-I-R, and the number eight. You can also email us at library at gmail.com. We cannot wait to see what trouble we can get up to on the high seas.
1: Oh my god, I'm so excited. I, I've been meaning to binge this show for so long and I feel like I'm going to get to the point where by the time I've watched the whole thing, your whole show will be out and I can just listen to it all in one shot.
0: It's kind of funny that you say that because I think all or almost all of our episodes are out so you can definitely go ahead and binge them if you want. And you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I already subscribed like a while ago. Don't <laughs> worry, I've been, they've been hoarded. I'm ready to go. But on that note, shall we get back to our own creatures of the sea, our sirens, this week?
0: And how about we do a little recap for this episode of Supernatural, and maybe you can sing us a little siren song?
1: Oh god, we've discussed me not singing, but I can definitely recap.
0: Three, two, one...
1: We get a bunch of angry men murdering their wives or women in their life. In some cases, if they don't have a wife and it looks like it might be some sort of siren, a creature that is luring men to do terrible things because I guess it feeds off that they never really explain that part. It's kind of weird. And there's this whole setup where we think Sam might have been fallen victim to the siren, but it turns out it was Dean falling for the siren, who was a really handsome Ben Affleck lookalike, who pretended to be a fed and was just everything Dean needed in a perfect man, friend, best guy, and convinces him to kill Sam and then get Sam infected. But then Bobby shows up and saves the day and the brothers kind of have a heart to heart and then just, you know, man it up by the car, which is always a difficult thing. But things are kind of just okay, and it's kind of a healthy ending, which is
0: weird time. I really don't think it's a healthy ending, Drew. <laughs> We're going to talk about that, but I really don't think so.
1: I have a weird reason why I think that, and then we'll get to it. But I imagine the long game has some interesting points that we need to bring up this week.
0: The First thing this episode is that this is not the last medical professional that Sam is going to hook up with. And if you remember also in the pilot, Jess was wearing a nurse costume for Halloween. And it just sort of makes me wonder what she was studying to become, because that's never made clear. And I'm thinking now that maybe she was pre-med.
1: We will talk about this later in my um, story section for Sam. But I really get a vibe that like someone in this kind of profession is very much a Sam, like Sam's type, someone intellectual. So it would make a lot of sense, actually.
0: Now, this might be the first, but it's not the last love spell that Dean falls victim to.
1: Given the easiness of writing love potion episodes and the length of this show, I'd be shocked if it was the only.
0: Now, there's another thing that's actually pretty funny is that Dean says, hey, I read. And I cannot remember if we've already gotten this quote before. I feel like we might have in season one. But I know for sure that we're going to get it again uh, next season in a very notable episode.
1: I do feel like it's a line I've heard from Dean before, at least in the show. I also love the fact that it's the Odyssey. We don't have time, but there's so many things to read into on that
0: one we do not have time for
1: that. (laughs) But yes,
0: I also remarked that and I was like, I was about to write it in. And then I was like, no, we don't have two hours. For anyone who's interested, there's a recent translation of the Odyssey, the first translation done by a woman, actually, that came out in the last couple of years. It's an interesting translation because... Depending on who you ask, it, quote unquote, takes some interesting permissions on the text. So something to think about if you're looking for a more modern version of the Odyssey.
1: I heard her interviewed on Spirits podcast and it made me really interested. It's been on my wishlist for a while of things to listen to.
0: We also have Dean mentioning Warren's Cherry Pie, and the song actually does play at least once in a future episode.
1: We also got some great music this episode. Like that strip club had like my kind of tunes.
0: That strip club had such amazing music. I was like, I kind of want to hang out there, you know, like.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never been to a strip club, but I'll go for the music apparently. Wow, that's a I of thought I would say.
0: Why not? I actually, last summer I baked a cherry pie and I literally listened to that song the entire time. <laughs> and I know, I know that the song is not about an actual cherry pie, but I just.
1: What? This is brand new information to me.
0: (laughs) We finally get a glimpse of Bobby's fake government agency phone central.
1: That is the greatest thing ever. I legitimately just paused for a moment there and just ogled it. And I was just like, this is why Bobby's the best character on the show. And no one can change my mind about that. And I love Cass and I love a lot of other characters. And I know we're getting Felicia Day in the show. Bobby's the best.
0: Bobby is the best. And frankly, like this is this is something that's going to follow through all the way up until season 15. So it's it's just like such a wonderful little character moment that is just going to become part of the DNA of the show. I also think this was our first Idgits.
1: Nope, definitely not. We definitely got one in the Christmas episode because we joked about making Idjit's Christmas sweaters.
0: Yes, that's true. Well, we get Idjits for a second time, so.
1: Which, parentheses, a certain friend of mine who is a comic book artist named Travis Siri mentioned that he wants to illustrate those for us. Just a heads up.
0: Hey, well, Christmas 2022, perhaps. Something to think about. It also hit me this time around that... Kara has a really similar vibe to a future romantic partner of Sam's.
1: I have nothing to go on here. Listeners react accordingly, and I will be reminded of it in probably a few years.
0: And Dean actually asks Sam, what is it with you and banging monsters? So yes, we have an official acknowledgement of Sam Monsterfucker. Oh,
2: God. (laughs)
1: we had to go there and I'm glad we did
0: I love how you're not you're like not saying anything you're not like no he's not you're like yeah yeah
1: (laughs) I mean look at the relationship he's currently in and though he did cheat on Ruby which is kind of a dick move I just
0: occurred to me it depends on the the rules of the relationship at hand right
1: true we don't know all the details maybe they're on a break there you go shall we head to story time and discuss uh, some more fantastical aspects of the episode
0: yes Like you hinted today, our theme is fantasy. And are you ready to dive into the fantasist etymology of the word?
1: I think this is becoming my favorite part of the show. I am such a stupid geek for etymology.
0: Frankly, I never thought that I would learn so much about etymology by doing this show.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of things I don't think either of us ever thought we'd be doing. Very much hinting to my lore segment coming up later today. I'm just saying I learned things. Let's I mean, go on. saying
0: the word "monster fucker" out loud for thousands of people to hear me—frankly—is definitely one of those things too. So,
1: yep, no, I could believe that.
0: <laughs> well, so what comes to mind when you think of the word "fantasy"?
1: For me, it splits into two very clear definitions. One being the an imagined scenario that you really want or really like. I think the obvious thought here is like a sexual fantasy type thing, kind of the like, it's like exactly what I've wanted. But then there's also the fantasy side of like Lord of the Rings or it's a fantastical world that we're written into.
0: Technically it's both. Ooh. Much like Dean. So it comes from the Greek fantasia, which means imagination and appearance. Now here's the real juicy bit in my opinion. Fantasia is derived from fantasean. And I apologize for anybody who speaks ancient Greek. And that means to make visible.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And I just love that. Because yes, of course, like when you have a fantasy or when you're playing out a fantasy, you're imagining it, which means that you're visualizing it in your mind, whether consciously or unconsciously. But also like So many things are made visible in this episode.
1: Oh, they are. And we are going to have so much to discuss. And this has just opened up multiple new pages in that uh, dialogue.
0: So I think that that works with both of your ideas, right? So fantasy that has to do with like Lord of the Rings. It's like that idea of imagine. And to me, both like fantasy as used with like science fiction almost and fan, like you had a little fantasy to me, like they kind of like they're just used in different contexts, but they mean the same like imaginary thing, right? Something that lives only in imagination.
1: My mind kind of had them as split definitions. I was curious to see if the definition would lean towards one end or the other.
0: So let's keep that in mind as we discuss the choices of Sam and Dean in this episode. Would you like to get us started with Sam?
1: While it's evident that the setup for this week is to make us think that Sam has fallen victim to the siren posing as Kara and that would play into the fantasies that ultimately allow this to peek behind Hunter Sam, but it really lets us see behind what is currently Hunter Sam. We know that deep down he still has a like a fantasy world, which is him meeting a partner who we can meet on an intellectual and equal level who can challenge him and who can he, who we can butt heads with among other things. uh, Over the last two seasons, mostly we've kind of lost that Sam. I mean, I feel like in the first two seasons we were always talking about how Sam just wanted to like finish hunting so we can go back to his real grown-up life. Now he's kind of just this version of Sam who is very, okay being a hunter. I mean, we even have the line in this episode, albeit under the control of the siren, which I think we'll discuss later, does get us that line of the, I'm a better hunter than you. I'm a better hunter without you. Even the fact that I guess, even without the allure of the siren in just a moment of true honesty with Kara, we do see that Sam deep down still wants, he still fantasizes about a normal life, about settling down with someone and being, Human
0: that's so interesting. I say that because I did not see it that way at all. For me, the fantasy that Sam is trying to keep up or like trying to like keep alive is that he can hide his ongoing relationship with Ruby from Dean, and we get some really good Sam moments in this episode with Kara, and like honestly, I, I genuinely. I genuinely like the relationship between Sam and Kara because it's so even, but I don't think she was a fantasy of his because fantasy is something that feels too good to be true or something that feels unattainable, that lives in the imagination, right? And in this case, like Kara's pretty human and pretty imperfect in many ways that make her in my opinion, much more lovable and much more relatable as a human being. But she's not that like perfection that is discussed when discussing the siren in this episode. And so in that sense, I really feel like the fantasy of like, nah, that's never going to happen. That's too good to be true kind of moment is really him trying to lie to Dean, hoping that Dean isn't going to find out. Because of course it's going to happen. Of course he's going to find out. You're you're like dreaming this up in your mind, little man.
1: I think the idea of a fantasy becomes so conflated with the idea of being unobtainable or being like extra that we forget. And I mean, we are, I do have points later this episode to discuss this in a few more uh, ways. There is a part of fantasy that can also be the mundane. Just because your fantasy is to live this idyllic, perfect little life that still means people being people. That still means having human conversations. Think of Dean uh, when he's living in the Jin's fantasy world. Things are great, but they're not perfect. And we see that in both the fact that people he'd saved are now dead and even just, you know, the relationship he has with Sam isn't perfect. You know, if I was a Jin creating the perfect fantasy for Dean, I wouldn't have him at all with his brother. Even in a fantasy world, things are still in some ways normal to an extent or can be normal to an extent. So I think in that level, the fact that Kara was so imperfect almost plays more into my theory. that This is what Sam has been craving. He's been craving a intellectual equal who, like him, isn't perfect.
0: I definitely see that. I just feel like that's not really a part of his arc at the moment, like at all. And we kind of see that in the end, too, when Dean is like, do you want to say goodbye to Kara? And he's like, no, not really. That's not fantasy. That's kind of why I'm saying that.
1: No, I agree. And I think that part kind of comes down to the idea of him remembering that he can't have that because he has bigger fish to fry. That fantasy world that Sam believed in back in season one of going back to school and finding the love of his life and growing old.
0: See, now you're talking about fantasy as something that is like impossible, almost that little fantasy land. Like that's kind of how you talked about it, right? I don't know. That's why for me and my definition of fantasy, it's something that lives in imagination and that is therefore unattainable in real life or attainable in some aspects, but not all. So actually quickly a little sidebar about the Cara fake out and the hyacinths because I needed to go there. So hyacinths, are often associated with funerals and blue hyacinths, Are usually about everlasting love. And so, in my reading of this, that's why she had those flowers in her office. I sort of imagine that they were sent as a gift to her for some kind of death anniversary of her husband. And that's why she was doing so poorly and drinking and going out and just, you know, acting out essentially, coping.
1: I love a good herbology fact, but it's, you know, it's a sad herbology fact.
0: That's a sad herbology fact. Those are the only herbology facts I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would like for you to get us started on Dean.
1: His fantasy is not some dream babe, but rather human connection. The fact that the siren still chooses to present as male, if anything, helps solidify my thought on this. You know, with a female presentation, you would always kind of be wondering, is Dean... And again, this is I'm looking at a very like broad definition of Dean who presents himself as a ladies man. If the siren appeared to him as, you know, busty Asian beauty that it probably would have chosen, given the reading that most people have of Dean who don't attest to the bi or queer Dean reading, you'd always be wondering, is Dean attached to them emotionally or sexually or both or one over the other? But the fact that the siren chooses a male presentation and is still able to give Dean what he wants. It really solidifies the fact that the thing that Dean needs the most is companionship. I can see it from an outside perspective, dropping the sexualization side of the veil and allow us to see Dean's truest fantasy, despite what past Dean has described is really just someone who gets him. And obviously the fact that the siren could be male and accomplish this just really says a lot about Dean's sexuality. And I don't care who you are. You have to admit that.
0: I'm going to push back on one thing that you said about the nature of the relationship with the siren. Okay. First of all, there's no mistaking the nature of that relationship between Dean and the siren. First off, the title of the episode is sex and violence. We see it happen in both victims before, and there's also two more victims before that. They have sex with the siren, and then they enact violence on the person that they live with. For three of them, it was their wives, and for Lenny, it was his mother. And I assume that for, well, as we see, for Dean, it would have been Sam. You're going to be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the myth of the siren is inherently sexual. It's rooted in, like, desire and longing and lust. So I really kind of, like refuse the premise that the siren intended to have like a purely platonic relationship with Dean. I mean, for all we know, they did already spend, they may have already spent an hour in the bathroom of the strip club, like we've seen Dean do canonically before.
1: That is a very good point.
0: I also want to go into like another thing, which is like, how do we explain the whole, like, I should be your little brother thing?
1: This is the argument I assumed could be made by someone outside of this, you know, partnership, but I knew we'd get there eventually. So please, I'm very curious to see how you feel about this.
0: It was a critical decision. So I'm going to start with that and break from story time for just a second and say that I think that that's really the crux of the issue, because I think that the creative team really had to do it that way. Otherwise, it would have just made Dean seem, quote unquote, too gay. And they couldn't possibly have done that in 2009. Now, if we want to think narratively, Sam says sirens can read minds, they see what you want most, and then they kind of sort of cloak themselves, you know, like an illusion. And that's also what's happening here, I think, because the siren can read Dean's mind, which I'm sure is very conflicted about his sexuality, and knows that like, if they push too much, they're not going to get anywhere. So they push the idea of like a deep emotional connection that Dean only knows with one person. And that's Sam, his brother. So the siren knows that and they use it. And that's the fantasy for Dean, like a deep emotional connection with a man. And as I'm saying those words, I'm like, Oh my God, am I becoming a gay Dean truther?
1: I love your description of it. It makes the most sense that truly, there needs to be a level of how much can you present to somebody before it's too much and it breaks the illusion.
0: There's a point of diminishing return at one point, right?
1: Well said. So let's put yourself in the siren shoe, listener. Your goal is to attract Dean in a way that keeps you on a on a, on a level that they had in the episode. If that was your goal and Dean really is the macho chauvinistic ladies man that he presents himself as, which we all kind of see through, why would you not pick a female companion for him? Like, there is literally no reason to go male unless it would make the job easier or as simple.
0: And the siren says it at the end, you know, I just want to fall in love again and again and again and again.
1: This again, I think we we said it a few, either last week or a few weeks ago, I'm losing track of episode order here with the magicians it's like this like the writer to again go into critical time it's them throwing in the word brother whenever they don't want anything to turn to gay it's like it's not gay it's brotherly love
0: and that's that's like a, a strategy as old as time kind of thing where queer people sort of disguised queer relationships under the guise of being as close as siblings because, like, it wasn't safe to be openly queer.
1: Funny, wasn't there a famous, like, Greek poem or story that did that in a few parts?
0: A very long poem?
1: Quite the journey they went on.
0: Quite the journey? Quite quite the odyssey?
1: No, no, no. It couldn't be that. Continue.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. That was just a very very inappropriate sidebar, but (laughs) I kind of want us to keep in mind that Dean's most significant and emotional and deepest connection is to his brother. And so a lot of his relationships are going to be measured by how similar or how deep they are in comparison with his relationship with his brother. And Sam doesn't operate that way because he's been away from Dean and in a separate relationship that was very deep. And I know that Dean was also in a separate relationship. I think the fact that it was also with a woman changes things. And I don't think that he's attracted to men and women the same way.
1: No, but even like the relationship Sam currently on or off or has had, whatever we are right now in this this chain of events. But the relationship as it was most recently displayed to us between Sam and Ruby, there is still a level of Sam that is fighting with the fact that he knows this is hurting his brother on an emotional level. So after discussing the brothers, is there anywhere else in the episode that you picked up on fantasy coming through?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked, because, yes, there are two places where I also pick up on fantasy. The first one is Adam Benson, who's the man who killed his wife in the cold open. I think that the story he's telling Sam and Dean is a complete fantasy. Because he says, I loved her, we were happy. Now let's go back to that cold open. His wife was clearly trying to like appease him or even pacify him when he got home. She was like jumping when he was slamming the fridge door. And I'm sorry, but like, you don't do those things in a happy, healthy relationship. Like if somebody like slams the fridge door, you turn around, and you're like, what's, what's up your ass today? You know, like you're not, you're not shy to kind of like be like, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? She was scared of him.
1: The entire time that he's describing their relationship. And I'm like looking back at that scene in my head going like, if that was the first time you came home like upset or angry or slammed the fridge door, that would be very, very different. This is not someone shook that you're doing this. This is someone who's seen you do this night after night.
0: Those are responses that happen like over time when your environment or like the person that you're dealing with is unsafe. Like, no, sir. You and your wife were not happy, like you're making up this little fantasy now that you've killed her. There's also another really major fantasy that comes to light in this episode, comes to light, you know, make visible, as per the Greek. Interesting that it's a Greek word for Greek myth that we're talking about today. Other instance of fantasy is the idea that Sam and Dean's current dynamics are good and healthy. And you mentioned that at the end, like, oh, it ends like happily. And I'm like, I really don't think so.
1: I would argue that happily may have not been the best word. I'll give you that one. But I think it 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 ends on a very the brothers moment. I think is the term I use. I'm going to use for these now, which is the and I literally in my notes, I had written beers by the car and then crossed out beers for sodas because Bobby's a responsible father.
0: Because Bobby is best dad. (laughs)
1: they have both equally gotten something off their chest that the other one needed to hear. And while they have not dealt with it yet, and while there is still lingering pains to handle, they're both lying and saying there is none, at least it's on the table, which I think is the point where they are both much better at internalizing it for a bit, figuring out what it means and then breaking down by the side of the row with a beer later on to fully get through it. So while it wasn't a happy realization of the two of them, it's progress that needed to happen and unfortunately had to be forced upon them.
0: I will give you that.
1: That's all I needed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. I just think that, like, at this point, the distrust that Dean has in Sam has been, like, made even worse by this, by all of this. That stems from his distress for Ruby, like, we know that. But it's still, like manifests as distrust for sam and literally like this episode like explodes this in our faces much like the siren with sam it's very dramatic and the siren does use that to their advantage like they use the already existing wedge in their relationship to try to get dean to kill sam and sam to kill dean just like they got adam to kill his wife and lenny to kill his mom
1: no, you, I mean, you're, you're right. Ultimately, I feel like there is a bit of an imbalance there, too, in the fact that I think Sam, I think, might feel more OK with where things ended, whereas Dean is the one who's clearly got a bigger wound to heal from. At the end of the day, I think you're right. It's as much as the on the surface, we discussed the siren driving people to kill somebody. I think what we're kind of learning is it's reading their minds and grabbing onto something More than just their fantasies, but also the thing they wish they could do. But you know you can never do that.
0: Yeah, there you go. Maybe part of that fantasy was saying those things to the other.
1: Mm, Yes, let's stop it there and not discuss other people and the actions they took besides the sex part. What? I mean, the episode's title is Sex and Violence. Yes. And the siren has them do two things. Yeah. Both... And why would only one be based off a fantasy?
0: If Uh, Adam was
1: in a relationship that he wasn't happy with and had that sick, gross fantasy of like, what if she just fell down the stairs or what if I just twisted the knife one day? I'm thinking uh, much like Sam and Dean, where they kind of use their existing trauma and distrust of each other to incite said violence. I think your point about Adam might bring the fact that maybe certain other people's less sexual fantasies may have been realized this episode as well.
0: Oh my God. Take it back.
1: Yeah, I'm (sighs) sorry. This is, hey, you made me have the realization. This is half your fault too. I
0: have only (laughs) myself to blame.
1: Shall we run away to critical time?
0: This episode was written by Catherine Humphreys and this is her last supernatural episode.
1: I would need to get a better list of what she's done. I know the name, and I know it's come up a few times. I think we'll have to have a more in-depth discussion of Catherine's history.
0: Well, we'll be doing that in our post-show, so our patrons, who are part of the Roadhouse tier and up, are going to have access to that on our Patreon and our coffee.
1: Fantastic. And our director?
0: Charles Beeson. Drew, would you like to share some... Siren Lore with us today.
1: Oh, do I have a lore segment for you? And I apologize in advance. Hi, you've reached Fantasy Hotline, where your deepest desires are our pleasures. What fantasy can we fulfill for you? Wish your job would experience a sensual power outage so you'd get to stay home and sleep a few extra hours? Maybe you forgot your lunch, and instead you and your friends have to cut class and go pick up something from McDonald's? whatever tantalizing secret would bring you to your knees, or your brain craves, we're here to make it real. Oh, is that a pizza delivery guy outside? You don't have the means to pay for that pizza? Well the payment system is down, you'll just have to get a free pizza tonight. So why wait? Dial one when you're ready to spill your dirty little secrets to one of our talented dream genies. Don't delay, every fantasy is valid here, no matter how mundane it may seem. Not all fantasies need to necessarily be explicit. Sure, many of us have those those kinds of fantasies. I'm not going to say I'm not human and haven't had fantasies myself, but sometimes, you know, just fantasizing about that power failure at work and getting to leave early. Those were the best days, weren't they?
0: Two things. Number one, that is not where I thought you were going when you said the payment system with the pizza was down. I was like, oh, we're going there. Okay.
1: I really wanted to subserve that one.
0: So that was one, point one. one point 1.2, I cannot believe you brought up pizza when talking about fantasy, because as you know, <laughs> pizza in Supernatural has a sexual connotation, as you will eventually find out.
1: And I recall you telling me this, so I made sure to work it in.
0: And number two, I will be sending you a link to a fanfiction called Four Letter Word. And I will just ask you to read the first chapter, and I will know. If you've read it or not, <laughs> trust me, I will know. And that's fine. You don't have to read it, but I will know if you've read it or not.
1: Oh, now now I'm, I feel like I'm being challenged. Send it over.
0: All right. right, Will do.
1: Anything to change the subject from what I just read in the acting job I just gave you. Would you have anything to share with us this week?
0: I know we briefly talked about it in story time, but I sort of want to come back to the siren transforming themselves into a man for Dean. The writing team makes it incredibly clear that the relationships that the siren has are sexual. And I know, you know, that you mentioned that not all fantasy is sexual. And I totally get that. And I agree with you. But in this particular case, Lenny is depicted having sex with the siren. And even Adam says it wasn't about the money, it wasn't even about the sex. The siren, as Nick says, nay, confirms, that they were all banging strippers. So sexual activity in this episode is a part of the siren's MO. And sort of like I mentioned before, the title of the episode is Sex and Violence. And the siren, as depicted in Greek mythology, uses lust as a weapon against her victims. On that same page, I guess... Or that same, like, wave or whatever. I'm just amazed that Jim Perrick was cast to play Nick. Because no, of course I'm not saying that this was intentional, but it's there nonetheless. Jim played Hoyt in True Blood, if you remember.
1: I never watched True Blood, but I know enough about the show to already know where this is going. Continue.
0: And True Blood started airing in November 2008. This episode aired in February 2009. For those who haven't seen True Blood, it's an HBO TV show about vampires who live among humans in the American South and face oppression that's really paralleled with queer oppression. And we've talked about this before, right? That There's a literary parallel between vampires and queer folks and queer stories. And True Blood uses that very deliberately and very openly. You know, they refer to vampires as fangs, which Supernatural did in season two, even before True Blood was airing. And they also refer to humans who have sex with vampires as fang bangers. Now, my friend, do you remember... Or you don't know, actually, but can you guess what Hoyt gets called on True Blood because of his relationships?
1: I'm going to assume he's a fang banger.
0: Yes, he is.
1: Somehow this man got cast to play the. Oh, sometimes the world just puts puzzle pieces together for you and says, look,
0: I know that this was all probably sort of happening at the same time. True Blood started airing in November, and then in February we got this episode. So we can't know for sure if people knew about the exact specifics of Hoyt's character here. But again, I just find it fascinating that this aligned like this.
1: Even in the incredibly small world of of happenstance that this is what happened, I mean, that is just the universe pointing at something, isn't it?
0: Just there. (gasps)
1: Now, shall we head over to the community and see what they have to point at for us? Yes. This week, we have a message from Nell. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. Where do you see fantasy and supernatural? How do you think the siren would have presented themselves to Sam? or to respond to something else entirely we discussed this week, or whenever, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com.
2: Hi, Carrying Wayward. It's Nell back again. And this week, this is going to be a little bit of a playoff of my last voicemail about sort of the role of fiction and how it doesn't exist in a vacuum. And this week, I want to talk about intent and what intent really means and how that plays out when it comes to actions, results, and consequences. Because as you may have realized by now, I really like to think about how fiction informs and coexists with societal expectations and norms. And so I want to talk a little bit about this, this idea that I'm having that like, when someone does something that causes harm, I think there can be this immediate jumping to, well, they didn't intend it to be bad or like that wasn't their intent. They didn't mean it that way. And that's valid. But I also want to recognize that intent does not absolve of harm. And so like if I intend to pay you a compliment about something and you actually find it really hurtful, the fact that I meant it to be good doesn't actually absolve me of the fact that my actions and the results of those actions were harmful to you. And so there should be consequences to that. And those consequences are are that I have to recognize the harm I've caused, sincerely apologize for it, and resolve not to do that in the future. And I may be going a little bit off of things that have been happening recently in the world, but um, I do, I just sort of want to pick at that for a second at this idea that like, intent matters more And, like, it does matter, absolutely, but it needs to be taken in the context of the situation. So, like, my intent to do good doesn't absolve me of the bad that happens because of my actions. And I think we see this a lot in the show with the relationship between the brothers and their secret keeping. Because so often one of them will keep a secret and then it'll come out and then the other will be like, I can't believe you did that. Like, why would you do that to me? That really hurt. And the other will go, well, I didn't mean it to, like, I didn't mean it to hurt you. I was doing it for you to be better for you. Um, And they do this back and forth all the time, and I think it really speaks to this, like, idea that they don't recognize that intent isn't the only factor that matters in here, that there's, like, more to it than that. So I'd love to to sort of hear your thoughts on that and how, in the show and the, the story we're getting, intent and actions and consequences sort of interplay. So I'd love to hear you say something on that. Um, Thanks for all the hard work you do. Love y'all. Talk to you later. Bye.
0: Well, Nell, that is pretty apropos for our episode this week. I think that impact over intent, right? Like, I think, I think I've, I think I've made that clear. And so if you didn't intend to hurt somebody, whether it's their feelings or physically or whatever, but you do, then you need to apologize, right? Like for your actions that resulted in that person being injured in any way. And I say physically, because my go-to example is like, you know, it happens sometimes that like you trip and you fall and like you, you, you. Like hurt somebody by mistake or like you, you know, complete accident and you elbow them in the nose or you step on their toes, whatever. (laughs) you may not have meant to do that. But the fact is that they're the ones left with either a bloody nose or a stubbed toe. So they're they're in pain because of you, because of your actions, even though you did not intend to do it. And so in that sense, your very first reaction is going to be like, oh my God, I am so sorry. And I think that for an emotional injury, it should be the same. You know, our first reaction shouldn't be to say like, oh, well, I didn't mean to do that. Like, it's fine. We get that you didn't mean to do that. And intent should inform our reaction to the person without necessarily guiding it.
1: It makes it easier to understand where someone is coming from with their apology when you understand the intent they had. Not Again, not that it should excuse it, but it's one thing to... As the example you gave, Nell, if you are insulted by something someone said, it really it's going to change how you perceive the apology, whether they truly saw it as something non-harmful or if their intent was to harm you.
0: I think intent just helps with closure. And that's what I mean. Right. So like let's say I try to say something nice to you and I end up saying something really, and and I end up saying it and then it turns out that for you, that's something really shitty. You tell me that and I'm like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I, I, I apologize for saying this. I will never say it again. This is what I meant. And now you are able to find closure by knowing a little bit more about my intent because we have an existing relationship and hopefully you know that I wouldn't actually like hurt you on purpose. But there you go. Like, that's kind of, I think, where where we are. And I think that that also applies to the brothers in its own way.
1: We see that this week with the brothers. The two of them both said something pretty hurtful to one another while in that siren-fueled fight, though both of them kind of brush it off the end in their chauvinistic, manly, men-don't-have-feelings kind of way. The reality is now that this thing is out there And the intent behind it is kind of obscured. It's hard to have closure with what was said.
0: So we've seen this before in previous seasons where one of the brothers says something really, really awful to the other while under the influence of some kind of supernatural creature. Or even in Sam's case, like under the influence of alcohol, right? So like we've seen, we've seen this happen before. And every time there's like this kind of like moment of closure where they're like, oh, but you know that that was like the shapeshifter or like, you know that that was like the demon talking. And I don't know. See, when you apply that to the brothers, it's like... I always find that they kind of like find excuses to say those awful things to each other. And like, yes, of course, the demon was driving, but like you were still thinking that thing. So I'm not 100 percent sure how much that applies here. But anyway, I now, I'm so sorry that you you offered us a really great voicemail and I'm rambling like some sort of. <laughs>
1: well, if I can do the Mary move this time and kind of take your ramblings and try to, I think, put a point on it. It's the fact that within the universe of the show from the inside looking inside, it feels as if they have been given information where the intent was, I didn't mean to say that I was being controlled. But we as the outside observer understand that there is an actual deep seated issue that is being brought forward versus just made make believe stuff.
0: Well, thank you so much, Nell, for giving us so much to ramble and talk about. <laughs> This is genuinely super important. And I also think that it applies to the creators, especially when it comes to intent versus impact. And there's definitely a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to queer coding, for example. So we'll be talking about that on an ongoing basis.
1: Yeah, Nell, no, thank you. This is a really good one. I I, the whole time listening to it, I had so many thoughts and it took me right till the end to go. And we can apply this to Supernatural, even this week specifically. Like I was just so enthralled in the conversation. So thank you for letting us uh, so enjoyably reflect on this episode. Mary, shall we go to our own personal reflections this week?
0: Yes, please.
1: I really felt a connection with Dean and his... You know, fake siren relationship, and, albeit I think we all agreed it would have eventually gotten sexual. But what it was in the moment of this kind of intimate mental relationship, it wasn't necessarily a physical attraction, at least in the moment we had with him when they were sitting together in the bar. It's reminded me of the different types of relationships I have. I very often go back to like an old Tumblr post meme type thing that is the like. And I'm sure it's very, very generalized, but like the four types of like relationships you can have. And there's like the romantic relationship, the crush, uh, the lustful relationship. And then the I can't remember the one they used the last one. It was kind of like that relationship where it's just like you want to be super close to this person, but there's nothing sexual or intimate about it. And it reminds me like I have amazing relationships in my life with people from all walks of my life and that. I feel like at a certain point in your life, there's kind of this level where you're always kind of wondering like, Oh, is this relationship going to become more than it is? And it's the point, And for me, it's the point where I got to where I realized that it doesn't have to be that a relationship can just be what it is. And whether that is the friend I can sit with and talk about the super intimate details of our most dirtiest, wildest life, or the friend I can have an intellectual debate with every weekend and just walk away knowing we're still good. You know, they don't need to be more. They don't need to be less. The important part is just finding where you two land and where you're able to line up in your connection. And hey, things can grow from there. Things may regress. But as long as you were comfortable with each other, that's what matters. So my call to action is more of just a reminder of this and, you know, to keep track of who I have what with and be grateful for the people I do have and the relationships I have.
0: Oh, I love that, Drew. I think that that's amazing. And it's true. Like, relationships are each sacred for what they are, right? Like, no matter how they are defined by the people who are a part of them, they are what they are. I really liked what you said about just letting them be what they are. Like, I find that really powerful.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a very young mentality to have. And I'm not putting this, like, on anybody. But I'm like, for me, it was a very young thing. When I was in like my first relationship after a few months and I would make really connect with another in the time when I was still very sure I was straight, another female friend and think like, oh, is this a real relationship? Is this like more of a romantic relationship, the one I'm currently in and having to like weigh them against each other? And then it got to a point where I realized, like, no, this is just a female friendship that works the way it does. The same way I have male friendships that could have been more but weren't because it's what they were. And you, my darling, this week,
0: this week, I'm reminded that fantasies reveal needs. You know, when we talked about Sam having a like basically. In a certain way, fantasizing about hiding things from Dean and then Dean fantasizing about a relation, a a deep emotional connection with a man, That is not his brother. Literally, that's literally what's happening. They're each revealing a specific need. Sam needs better boundaries, and we've talked about that before, from his brother. And Dean needs a deep emotional connection with a man who's not his brother.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, he's on his way there. I kind of think so.
0: I think so too. Uh, We just haven't really seen much of that in a couple of episodes. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that soon. And so keeping that in mind, I think my call to action is more to like, find the need behind my own fantasies. Because when we first started the episode, when you were talking about the different types of fantasies, I was like, oh my God, honestly, like my own fantasy is like one week where I do nothing. And I think the need behind that is the need for rest. Being able to see the need behind the fantasy. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support.
1: This week, we'd like to thank Nell for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And be sure to leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice.
0: And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com.
1: Carry on our wayward friends.
0: Mwah, mwah. I'm Marie Vigourou.
1: And I usually count down before we start.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I was like about to start counting and I was like, uh. Cast for fans who aren't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you
1: sure you don't want me to use the first take? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to
0: do it. It's going to be fine.